Pixels, the one and only official video game podcast of culture. Uh, I am here this week uh, as a uh, sort of I, sort of special episode. Um, I, I don't know what you want to call this, but um, yeah. We we couldn't get together this week, and I'm uh, frankly a little tired of skipping weeks for you guys. Um, uh, if I if I can just be honest, uh, so I figured I would do a solo one, but also given that we are um, currently sitting in the middle of October, and we haven't even remotely started discussing horror-related anything, uh, I thought it would actually be a good time to kind of sit and talk about some horror-related stuff. So uh, I'm actually going to release three supplemental episodes. These should right at the last of the month. uh, That will kind of go in tandem with um, our episodes that we will that we will be creating, you know, as we, as we kind of go along. Um, and what the plan is for me is to kind of talk to you about some horror related stuff. So that's what we will be doing, uh, today. Uh, this is, um, I, I'm going to kind of run this like a normal episode just because there are uh, a couple of things that I, I like I have really genuinely wanted to talk about and I don't want to wait uh, too much before I kind of get into them. So what we will do uh, first and foremost is um, we will uh, kind of go through uh, what I've been doing the last a uh, couple of weeks, uh, well, not weeks, but past couple of uh, days. So, um, so that said, let me talk to you guys a little bit about a couple of movies that I've watched. Um, I watched a new movie on Hulu called No One Will Save You. Uh, this is a movie that came out uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I believe. Um, and it's a sort of alien invasion thriller type uh, horror movie uh, starring, um, what is her name? Caitlin, Caitlin Dever, I think is her name. Uh, she's, she was one of the leads of Booksmart, which is a great movie uh, that you should definitely check out if you have not. <clears throat> um, but she is the lead and it basically kind of just follows her around as she is, uh, you know, experiencing this alien invasion. Um, I don't feel like there have been a whole lot of alien invasion movies that have worked really all that well in a while. A lot of them tend to be stuff like, uh, I think, what was that Mila Jovovich movie? Uh, I think it was called The Fourth Kind. Um, let me see. Yes, it was. It was called The Fourth Kind. Uh, which was kind of like a weird hybrid documentary thing, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and 
uh, what was the other one with Carrie Russell? Um, I, I don't know. I can't remember. But basically, there there haven't been a whole lot of alien invasion movies uh, that have really worked for me in a while that weren't explicitly like disaster films. Uh, like I, I, I like, uh, I've come around on, I should say the Spielberg, um, remake of war of the worlds. Uh, and like, it's good, but it's, it's much more action than it is uh, horror. I think. And I like, it's very hard to find, good alien invasion horror movies i feel like at least in the modern day but this one is uh is pretty cool um like i really like this movie because the aliens aren't just kind of like like i think with a lot of uh modern alien movies you run into a situation where you run into like a cloverfield where they're much more like monstrous and, uh, like, a lot less sentient, I th- feel like. Like, a lot less, like, uh, human-focused or... or That's a poor phrasing, but, like, smart, I guess. Um, and this is very much, like, a bunch of smart aliens trying to take over the world. And um, they're here to sh- kind of, like, fuck shit up, for lack of a better uh, phrase. And... I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I also really like the movie is more or less a silent film in regards to like dialogue. Like there isn't a whole lot of dialogue in here and um, it's really kind of one character uh, pretty much the entire movie. There's a few like there are other characters, but like no one gets screen time quite the same way as Caitlin uh, Dever. Um, and I, I liked the idea of the sort of um, uh, silent aspect of it. Um, I really thought that that was kind of cool for a little while, uh, but then it kind of became a little annoying towards the end of the movie because I feel like I do like the idea of she doesn't have anyone to talk to so why would she say anything type type deal you know um like you, you it makes sense but also it kind of doesn't make sense in a in a lot of ways like i feel like if i were noticing some things uh you know running towards me or you know, any any of the situations that she's maybe put in throughout the movie uh i feel like I would say something like, oh shit, oh fuck, or something like that, you know, even if it's just an exclamation, because that's, that's what's happening in my head, you know? Um, so it works, I feel like, until it doesn't. Um, and I also kind of feel like this movie suffers a little bit from the use of having the antagonist or monster or, you know, in this case, alien, um, having them there to kind of help the protagonist overcome trauma. I feel like that stuff is getting a little bit old. Um, I've seen it like a billion times before, you know, that just seems to be what horror is nowadays. 
And I really kind of wish that like it would kind of go away just a little bit. Like not every movie needs to be about like some trauma that our protagonist is overcoming. Um, that said, I really, really think that Caitlin Dever's performance uh, is phenomenal. I really like the aliens and I really, really love the implications of what's going on at the end of the movie. I don't want to spoil anything, uh, but it's kind of a go for broke type ending. And I really, really dug that. Um, I think the sorts of, of uh, positives outweigh the negatives and it makes for a relatively enjoyable experience. So uh, I definitely recommend no one will save you on Hulu. Um, one movie that I do not recommend is, um, a movie called Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. This is a prequel to, um, Pet Cemetery, obviously. And it follows the character of, uh, Judd, I, I believe is his name. Yes, Judd. Um, he is the old guy played by Herman Monster in the original Pet Cemetery, and I believe in the remake it was uh, what is his name from Third Rock from the Sun and Dexter. Oh, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, anyway, so this movie is supposed to kind of like give us some insight into what's happening in Ludlow, and also. Uh, what is going on with his character before he ever meets the family uh, in those original movies. And this movie really feels like one of those low-budget efforts that's like trying really hard to punch above its weight. And it just can't overcome its limitations. Uh, I think that there's a lot of really cool stuff in the script that really is like almost refreshing. I feel like, um, it's not that it's necessarily anything new, uh, because it's, I mean, honestly, it's, it's very hard to come up with new things in horror, but like there are things specifically in here that I'm, I was like, I really enjoyed the tying, this world to Native American um, sort of like, uh, I don't want to say religion, but spirituality, uh, tying it to that and having a sort of um, commentary on how we, we as, uh, you know, people, not, you know, settlers or whatever you want to call them, colonizers uh kind of had no respect for their ways of life i i really think there's a strong through line of commentary in here about that specifically um and there are a few really good things in the script other than that that it kind of tries to tackle but then it also has some of the worst lines of dialogue and some of the most predictable beats that like I've ever seen. Like I, I saw several things coming from like a mile away and 
some of the lines were just like, why was why is this in the movie? Why didn't someone cut this out? Um, the acting in this movie is actually kind of great in some, uh, well, in some scenes. And from scene to scene, it, it varies wildly. Like, the, the guy who plays Judd, for instance, I think there was, like, one scene in particular where I was like, okay, I can get behind this guy. He's been kind of, eh, whatever. But, like, this was a good scene. And then, like, the very next scene, he had, like, an expression on his face that I was just like, I don't think you're supposed to be reacting that way to this situation. Um, the same thing with like the kind of like main antagonist of the movie. Um, there was one scene in particular that I was just like, Oh, he's, he's actually very good. And then like the very next scene I was like, or maybe not. Um, and I really like, it felt like that the entire way through the movie. Like there were a lot of, there were a lot of really cool things to like about this movie and they would get, completely just like demolished by um mediocre stuff immediately afterwards um i i liked it despite it being tied to an ip that there was a little bit of originality um and that there was a little bit more originality than stuff that came out earlier this year that wasn't tied to IP. Like, I felt like there was more originality in this in places than the entirety of The Boogeyman from earlier this year. Um, so it totally gets some bonus points for that. But I really think that this is one that you could probably skip. If you're looking for any sort of, like... Um, horror movies to kind of like tide you over for the holiday. Uh, I think you can do better than Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Uh, okay. Well, well, we'll leave it at that. Um, and we'll get to the topic of, of, of this show, which um, I am here to uh, give to you. So, um, I was actually posed this question the other day by our one and only Mr. Justin Ruiz. So uh, I can't remember where he said that he got the um, where he got the prompt from, but um, he posed this question to me. Uh, environmental storytelling is a key component in horror games. Can you share examples of how effective world building has enhanced the fear factor in horror titles? And uh, I really thought that that was a, a very interesting question for a number of reasons. Uh, namely, because I do think that horror uh, really benefits a lot from world building in ways that some other game uh, game genres don't necessarily do. Um, like I I feel like there are um, 
what's the best way to put it? I feel like a lot of what happens with like action games or you know uh, even adventure games like like uh, Uncharted is they just kind of rely on a bunch of the knowledge of the player of like already existing um, already existing world around them right so I, I think that horror alongside like RPGs like high like fantasy in, in specific um, tend to need the world building done a little bit more than uh, some other genres and horror I think uh, comes from that uses that to it to its uh benefit so um and i wanted to kind of like i guess go over that question a little bit myself and kind of talk about um one of my favorite examples of this so um i think that Silent Hill as a series has really done a lot to create interesting worlds. Um, at the very least, the original, like, kind of like trilogy of things. Um, and I think that among, among those games, uh, I, I feel like the obvious and most, like, h- how do I want to put this? The obvious and most uh, prominent answer in this list would be Silent Hill 2. So I, I want to I talk about that one first. Um, and then I'll, <clears throat> I'll throw out some examples of, of other ones. But Silent Hill 2, the reason that I think that that game works so well is not because the horror is necessarily grounded in any sort of, like, um, what's, what's the best way to put this? The It's not grounded in any sort of, like, I don't want to say realism, because that's not the word that I'm really trying to say, but more so it's, it's that there isn't a whole lot for you to necessarily grab onto and um, understand, if that makes sense. Like, it's not a very relatable situation, at least not for a lot of people, where the horror is like these monsters that kind of, you know, represent... um, things specific to the character involved right um i think we can see this in horror movies in general where like the monster is usually a metaphor for something else like in the babadook it's for the basically for the mental state of the mother uh you know not loving her child and being in a depression uh, after the death of her husband so the monsters are are obviously metaphors, but in this instance, the metaphors here are for really horrific things um, that I, I don't know that there are a lot of people who can who can kind of relate. So, 
with that said, the reason that I think that it rules is because the narrative of the game delves deep into the psyche of James, the protagonist. And it's a lot about guilt, grief, and redemption. And a lot of the monsters in this game represent those things. Pyramid Head being like a very, um, very prominent version of that, right? With that said, I think that the world around James, like if you take James out of the equation, the world around Silent Hill 2 all adds to those themes and really, really makes the game operate in a way that is scarier than if it had generic like zombies for instance i really think that like when you look at the characters of uh lisa's the big one but um i'm trying to remember the name of the brunette lady i know maria is the one who looks like his wife what's the where are the Oh my gosh. Okay, I can't seem to find her name. Um, well, anyway, every single one of the characters within the game really kind of emphasize the, the themes that are happening in, um, in the game. So with... Oh, Angela. That... I believe that is her name. Angela. Okay. With regards to um, these characters, you have these um, people who are working... What's... I mean... I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. Their stories all have ties back to those themes of, you know, of the, um, like the guilt and the grief and the, you know, whether or not you can be redeemed. Like with Angela, for instance, she's like suicidal or suicidal, sorry. Um, And she's supposed to be searching for her mother, but it's like, it's strongly implied that she was abused and raped by her father and she killed her father and that's why she's in in Silent Hill uh kind of again similar to um James in the in the story where he you kind of find out over the course of the game that he is uh you know in grief over basically killing his wife um 
I think that Maria is an interesting sort of like se- like super sexualized manifestation of his of his wife, obviously. Um, but like, I think that stuff that she has going on also emphasizes those themes. Eddie is a, if I'm not mistaken, he like killed uh, someone in his like his high school or or a football player or something like that. Um, but like he has this anger and this rage that he can't control. And in his final appearance, he's in like the labyrinth, which is where he confesses to, to murders. And his story is also kind of talking about his, regret or kind of like lack of which ties back into James's overall story. And I really think that like those narrative elements mixed with the fact that like it's all foggy. So James kind of like he realizes what he's done, but he also kind of in the back of his mind has kind of forgotten that that's the way he was, you know, uh, towards his wife, near the end of, uh, of her life. And, um, I really feel like a lot of the metaphorical stuff happening in Silent Hill 2 really is portrayed through the world building. And that's what makes the game so fucking scary. It's not necessarily that, oh, there's this weird looking pyramid thing, you know, trying to kill me. It's more, that that thing is a manifestation of James's psyche, that that is a manifestation of his guilt and his regret and how that kind of ties in with the horror of everything. He committed an atrocity and now this pyramid head thing is, is going after him. And it just kind of makes, it's a whole big psychological soup that like, is just terrifying, I feel like. Um, the atmosphere, the music, everything around Silent Hill 2 really adds to the compelling storytelling going on over there. And I, that's why I feel like Silent Hill 2 has one of the one of the best instances of of, of like world building um, helping to amplify the horror of a situation. Um, I really think that uh, Resident Evil 2, especially the remake, has a lot of that stuff going on as well. And uh, staying with the same franchise, Resident Evil 7's, I think, really adds to the horror as well. A lot of the stuff going on within the environment and learning, like, uh, just for instance, like, so in uh, Resident Evil 7, the biohazard, um, you have these, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, backwoods um, antagonists. Like, they're these um, super scary uh, people who aren't necessarily... um, zombies and that i feel like is a nice little like turn for the series as a whole but like 
also having it set in Louisiana with these characters who aren't necessarily um, zombies. They aren't necessarily monsters per se. Uh, and knowing that they are the product of the corporate machinations of the Umbrella Corp uh, kind of adds to the sense of tension, I feel like. Knowing that the game is focused around how the, um, for lack of a better term, the... I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say. Like the malfeasance of corporate overlords basically is visited upon these people. And that's why they are the way they are. So it's, it's like multiple layers of horror getting put on top of your, your story. And I feel like that's part of the reason that it makes uh, seven such a scary game. I think seven is a real refer- return to form. Uh, this the the games started especially with uh, three, uh, and then very much so with four, five, and six started taking turns towards action. Um, like they just kind of dropped the the horror aspect uh, to a degree, and I think having it set in that location with those characters and the implications of the world around it. It really amplifies the scariness of Seven and makes it one of the the scarier entries in the series. Um, there are tons of others. Uh, P- Parasite Eve, having that set in New York and having, you know, the whole idea, the whole narrative setting uh, around your cells literally being the things that can kill you is is really good um yeah there's there's just a lot of really good stuff and i really think that horror games uh need to lean into the world building a little bit more um stuff that's done it recently with um like really good uh i guess return i i don't know what the what way to to describe it but like little nightmares i think is really great um i really like until dawn uh i'm not a hundred percent sure that that's all world building but like i think that that that's really good little nightmares like i said um system shock well that's actually kind of a, a older game but um yeah just it's it's good stuff really good stuff so um yeah okay um, uh, I don't want to talk about what I've been playing because, um, all I've been playing is Lies of P and, uh, definitely want to kind of go over that with the guys because I think, uh, both of them have, uh, sort of been playing it at least, uh, at least a little bit. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to hold off on that for now. But what I am going to do is offer up a pick of the week before I get out of here. And uh, yeah, so my pick of the week is a little YouTube video called The Simpsons is Good Again by Super Eyepatch Wolf. Uh, this movie or this this video goes over 
um, how the two newest seasons of The Simpsons aren't necessarily a return to form the way that they were for uh, the original, you know, roughly 10 seasons of the show. But it is a new and interesting look at what The Simpsons can be in 2023. And it kind of breaks down uh, some of the better episodes to come out of these final two seasons and really just kind of like tells a really good story. So um, great video. Love me some Super Eye Patch Wolf. And uh, yeah, good, good, good stuff. Um, cool. So as always, you can find us on social media for all things Culture Bop, Hunting Pixels, and the Culture Bop family of content. Culture Bop is available on Instagram at culture underscore pop. And um, I got a video coming, I promise. Um, I just have to, I have to find the time to work on it. Work, life and work have been crazy. And I just have not had a chance to make it a, a thing. So, uh, but it's coming, I promise. So youtube.com slash c slash culture pop. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can. Um, the Bebop, th- at the Bebop Man 182 and on Instagram, I am at BebopMan182. Uh, and lastly, if you're listening to this and you aren't already, uh, go to patreon.com slash culturebop. Toss us a pledge. Got some cool stuff going on over there. Um, and yeah, so it helps us make this show happen. Um, I think that's it. So... Until next time, goodbye.